Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, we are getting towards the end of our sermon series. Uh, the final sermon will be next week in the Ten Commandments. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Exodus chapter 20, our focus verse is going to be verse 17 in the Tenth Commandment, and I'll be reading that verse here uh, without context. Before we hear the reading and preaching of God's Word, let's go before Him together in prayer. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you now, thankful for your Word. We pray that you would work in us, that we would be doers of your Word and not hearers only. We pray that your Spirit would bring that about in our lives, for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. Hear now the holy, infallible, inerrant word of God written for you and for me today. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word to us. Well, people of God, each of the Ten Commandments are unique in the instruction that the Lord gives, as well as they're connected together as a unit. We see that clearly with the Ten Commandment, you shall not covet. In fact, if you think more about the Ten Commandment, you can see how it's one where covetousness is really an underlying factor in breaking the other nine commandments. And further, it has been rightly said that when we break any of the first nine commandments, we also break the tenth commandment. Big issues for us are the various answers we give to the question, what do I want? What do I want? The conscious heart says, I want what I want, and I want it now. I want my way, not the honor of my parents. I want to get him out of the way, and so therefore it's okay to murder him. I want her, or I want him. I want what he has to be mine. I want to bend the truth for selfish gain. Now, if you recall, last week we considered how much self gets in the way and fuels the breaking of God's command to not bear false witness against our neighbors. We must not lie unless, and here's the exception in Scripture, unless there is a just and righteous reason to do so. We must never create or plant false evidence or round up false witnesses when we feel our backs are against the wall. We must be those who champion telling the truth. We should be those who are known, who have a reputation of having such character so that others quickly say, I know John to be an honest and truthful man. We know that God's call to us is to be loving and faithful and true and, and calling good, good, and evil, evil. We must be those who aren't ashamed, intimidated, or afraid to proclaim these truths to others, to our communities. We also know that we must not be those who flatter others. So we must be like those who don't put down one person in order to 
lifts up another with empty words. Remember, the one who flatters is setting a trap for the person whom he pretends to compliment. They show favoritism for personal gain, even material and financial gain. Godliness isn't a means of gain, though, beloved. And we see that the Apostle Paul taught Timothy that in 1 Timothy 6.5. And so getting and keeping self off the throne is one of the chief concerns in the Christian life. We see this to be primarily in focus in the Tenth Commandment as we squash and keep our selfish desires at bay and learn more of the beauty and the art of Christian contentment. Similar to the other nine commandments, you shall not covet proclaims that our thoughts, feelings, and inclinations, which are matters of the heart, matter a great deal to the Lord. And so this morning, we'll consider God's prohibition for us to covet in verse 17a, as well as what we must not covet and why in 17b, as well as God's call for us finally to be content. And so look with me at 17a, as God forbids us to covet those four simple yet also important words, you shall not covet. Now we can all agree that we're very familiar, maybe even too familiar, with the sin of coveting and the many temptations to do so along with that. But what is coveting really? Simply put, it's a strong desire, a craving for something you don't have, but your neighbor does. It's a strong desire and it, it isn't merely a fleeting thought about liking something or thinking something is interesting or attractive and moving on, but rather it's craving that tugs and pulls you even to try to go get what you want. It's a deadly sin, and part of why it's so deadly is that it can never be satisfied. It repeatedly sends a siren call to want more. Coveting relentlessly craves more of this world and tempts us more and more to seek less of Christ, less of heaven. It abandons our love for God and it moves us to hate our neighbor. Coveting lures us into the pit of self-seeking and envy and slander and adultery and pride and dishonor and murder and theft idolatry. And aren't those all what we've seen and studied and considered in the other nine commandments? We can all attest that its pull is very strong, can't we? But God calls us to seek Him daily for our help in times of need, to use the fruits of self-control, to deal with the roots of the issue, and to keep our thoughts and feelings focused in the path of godliness and living in a godly manner before him. And so where does the root of covetousness lie? As with many sins, it starts in the heart. It seeks to steer us in sinful directions from within, and it hits the gas pedal on our desires, so to speak. It's pedal to the metal, full steam ahead towards those sins. 
Our neighbor's green grass looks more and more green, while ours looks less and less green in our eyes. Maybe even in this season of life, quite brown, we could agree. We come to want what we have to be as green, if not greener, than his. We love his grass, we love the way it looks, we like the way it feels, maybe even on our feet, but when it comes down to it, in covetousness, we say, I love this green grass and I want mine to be as green, even greener than his. The Apostle Paul understood and had a lot of experience and struggle with the sin of coveting. And we see him speak to that in Romans chapter 7, beginning in verses 5 and 6. And if you'll turn with me there, that would be great. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 5. And there we see that he addresses the question as to whether there is a problem with the Mosaic Law itself, since it arouses sinful passions. But notice that Paul's answer to that question is found in verses 7 and 8. And in verse 7 we read, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Made in so. On the, on the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, Paul said. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Now we must remember that God's law is holy. And Paul goes on to say that in verse 12. However, our sinful hearts twist it and turn what could restrain us into a way by which our desire for sin is strengthened. Paul's point isn't that he lacked intellectual awareness of the sin of covetousness before he read the Ten Commandments. No, Paul knew that it was wrong to covet before he studied the law, but reading the law exposed how covetous he really was, and we see that in verse 7. And so we see this, this wonderful thing that God is doing through his word in the Apostle Paul is it's not just the reading of the law that impacts Paul, it is that. But it's much more than that. For the law shows him the depth and the ugliness of his covetous heart and just how covetous he really was. And this is true for us too, isn't it? God's law is a mirror that shows our sin and convicts us of the stench of our sin in much more detail than we may realize or be comfortable with. And as Paul read the Tenth Commandment, he began to feel his wickedness in a new way, seeing how much he coveted things that were not his, and how he actually enjoyed coveting instead of hating it. And we see that in verse 8. But I want you to think about that for a moment. Is the same true for you? Do you enjoy coveting instead of hating it? Do you enjoy coveting instead of hating it? You know, in the freedom and new life that Christ has purchased for us, we must not be those who entertain such darkness. 
but rather grow in recognizing its presence and be prompt to get it out and to kill those desires in our hearts. In Exodus 20, we see how God gives us examples as he provides the defining guardrails, so to speak, of covetousness in, in daily living. Look with me again at 17b in Exodus 20. He says you shall not covet, but what does he say? We must not covet. Your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, his servants, his animals, livestock, nor anything that is your neighbor's. My friends, God really addresses every area and level here, doesn't he? He brings and begins with specifics and then marks everything broadly. And this should be very helpful for us. This kind of detail helps us pinpoint things in our minds and lives, doesn't it? And so he begins with our neighbor's house. And you know it's easy to be tempted to covet someone's house, isn't it? And you may be sitting there thinking, Pastor, if you, if you only knew the thoughts and feelings that I had while spending hours on Zillow or Realtor.com this past week, you'd be ashamed of me. Maybe your neighbor's house is bigger than yours. Maybe it's nicer. Maybe it has better perks and, and amenities than yours. Have you walked through a house or driven by it and, and craving turned into dislike for your neighbor who owns it? And so, so what's the big point here? What is God teaching us? Coveting disrupts our ability to love our neighbor well and support them even in the good home that God has blessed them with. But God goes on to point out our neighbor's wife. This is another one that could be put into the all-too-easy temptation box, isn't it? Know out the truth that this is commonly also a Seventh Commandment violation, as it often involves thoughts and passions that, that come from an adulterous heart. Now keep in mind, ladies, that this is also true for those who would covet their neighbor's husband. Single folks, you can also be guilty of this if you covet a married person. But what's involved here? Maybe you're craving someone because they're attractive, they're smart, or they talk and get along easily with you. Maybe you're having a difficult time with your spouse and your relationship is on the rocks. Maybe there's conflict in your marriage and your thoughts and feelings are starting to wander elsewhere. But beloved, guard your heart. Guard your hearts. Be committed to repentance and reconciliation and restoration of your relationship and not look elsewhere. Not look and let your covetous heart help you and take you to a place that you must not go. The, the big point here is that God has brought a husband and wife together in a loving covenant relationship and bond with each other before him. And they belong to each other. And specifically here, the wife belongs to her husband. And so it, it's sinful to covet someone who isn't yours, who the Lord has given to someone else and not to you. But God also goes on to speak of servants and livestock. 
And in those days, these are people and animals who serve the needs of their neighbor. They're under his ownership. And so what do you covet here? Maybe you covet the number of them. Maybe they have quite a few. Maybe you covet the quality of their work and service or their abilities and care. And yet it would be a sin to covet his servants or animals and, and want them for your own for any reason. Then notice God closes the list with this sweep of the broadest brush. There is nothing under the sun that belongs to your neighbor that would ever give you the justification to covet what he has and desire to make them your own. For God says, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And so what are we to do with this? We see better, by God's grace, what's wrong here, what we must stay away from, what we must keep out of our hearts. But what must we do instead? How do we slay covetousness and thrive beyond it? Well, two simple, yet so challenging and often difficult words to live by in practice come into view. Be content. Be content. That's God's call to us. And what does it look like then to be content? If it's a duty of ours constantly regarding this commandment, what does that look like? It looks like being satisfied and content with one's life. It's being at peace despite your circumstances. It's having a sincerely thankful heart for God's good providence to you. Being at peace as you recognize the blessings and the gifts that the Lord has blessed you with and entrusted you to care for. Now such thoughts, such a heart and attitude needs to be nurtured and maintained. It doesn't just pop there and stay. No, it has to be nurtured and maintained. We need to cultivate content hearts that are happy when others flourish and know that Christ himself is sufficient whether we own many things or a few things. You know, there are times, and even right now, where some of you may own a lot. You have a lot to be thankful for. You have been quite blessed. Some of you may have little in comparison. But the message is, is that Christ is sufficient. Christ is sufficient, whether we own many things or a few things. Paul makes our duty simple and clear in Hebrews 13.5 when he says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Notice how Paul adds the wonderful and important and abiding presence of Christ as sufficient reason to be completely content. Think about how true that is. If all you have is Jesus, he is enough. If all you have is Jesus, he is enough. You have the greatest treasure of all in the entire universe. And you will never lose him. Think of that. He will always be with you in this life, in death, and forever. 
He will always completely and truly satisfy you. Remember what your covetous heart would tell you and try to convince you of. You can never truly be satisfied. And so you long for more and more. But in Christ, you find complete and full satisfaction in Him. Paul spoke to this in 1 Timothy 6.6 when he said, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. My friends, where there is true godliness, there is true contentment. And that is truly great gain. Matthew Henry said this, Christian contentment is great gain. It is all the wealth in the world. He that is godly is sure to be happy in another world. And if withal he do by contentment accommodate himself to his condition in this world, he has enough. Paul told Philippi in Philippians 4, 11 and 12, Not that I speak in regard to me, for I have learned in whatever state that I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. And you know, sometimes our view of contentment is up on the upper tier. We know how to be content when we're full, but not so much when we suffer need. And Paul teaches us here that that should be true in both. Paul was content with the little that he had, and that satisfied him. He also depended upon the providence of God to provide for him from day to day, and that satisfied him. So I'll leave you with this. I pray that you see afresh the stench of covetousness and the peril of a covetous heart. And consider the details of how you may be tempted to engage it in your life. Be mindful of great dangers in being discontent. First and foremost, it treasures self instead of Christ. And therefore pridefully declares to him who willingly paid for our sins on the cross, Sorry, Lord, but you're just not enough for me. I want you. But how arrogant that is. How arrogant that is. To say that Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of our souls, isn't sufficient for us. We want more. Discontentment unsettles you and seeks to rob you of peace. It it easily unravels and ruins relationships and leads you down a path of disobedience and sin. Remember that. In our minds, it makes those we love into competition for what we want. And that must never be so. Greed and envy, jealousy and covetousness all breed off of our being discontent. And so secondly, I also pray that you hear God's command to be set to carry out your duty to be content with joy. As we grasp more deeply that the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. Praise the Lord. There is an ongoing adjustment of our attitude and outlook with our external circumstances. Whatever is happening in our lives, day by day, He is leading us, He is guiding us and comforting us. 
He is providing for all of our needs. And in understanding this, we know that our internal well-being, our sense of comfort, our sense of peace, isn't dependent on the things. It isn't dependent on the circumstances, the relationships that go up and down, good and bad. That sense of peace and comfort comes from something else, really someone else, regardless of the state that we're in. It comes from the hand of the Good Shepherd. It comes from the hand of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and is truly the work of His Spirit. It's something that we are taught, and it's something that we have to learn. And I pray that we would all seek the Lord and His help, His work in us, that we would learn to be content and learn it well and then do so for the glory of God.